0: all right welcome to the frogs of war podcast welcome back uh we are we are recording again uh, after a week off after a bye week we are here iron skillet week smu hate week um and we're back with a uh this is anthony north <laughs> i'll introduce myself and with me here we've got russ hodges and uh russ welcome to the podcast i'll let you introduce yourself and uh You've probably seen him around at Frogs of War for quite some time, um, doing great work for us. But Russ, I'll, I'll let you uh, jump in here.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I've been contributing here at Frogs of War for about two and a half years now. Um, started out during COVID. Uh, I was looking for a little bit of a, a side hustle. You know, I'm a sports editor for a living. So uh, TCU graduate as well, graduated 2016. So it's kind of my way of uh, of giving back and staying involved and just uh keeping myself busy you know as a creative and it's been a lot of fun um looking forward to talking some football today talking some smu and just what's going around uh in the big 12 and around the country excited let's uh let's get this going
0: yeah absolutely um and so yeah let's jump into it we'll we'll hit a few uh quick news things some stuff that's happened in the last week or so uh we'll talk about back at the Tarleton State game, TCU victory, and then we'll we'll jump into um, SMU stuff and, and get ready for, for this big week ahead. So um, first thing on the news, uh, so TCU soccer is about to kick off Big 12 conference play this week, starting on Thursday with a home match against number 20, Texas. Um, so big match at uh, Garvey Rosenthal. So everybody come out, check out the team um they've been on a bit of a roll so a couple weeks back they they dropped a few um but then uh this last week or so two road wins Texas A&M and Texas State and then a home draw with uh with Harvard uh who's also ranked so um some some good things happening and really strong play Messiah Bright Tyler Isgrig have have been superb and getting national honors and all of that so um, exciting times on on the soccer fields. Um, we've also had some some basketball news. So, Russ, what's been going on on the basketball side?
1: Yeah, a couple of things. I was able to get up earlier today. Uh, one thing people probably saw if they follow TCU basketball <coughs> on social media is we got some new threads coming in for for this year. Uh, interesting look. I, I like it. A lot of the sim. A lot of the same stuff that we've seen from. You know, traditional TCU got the the traditional colors and and lettering and everything, but we got a a, a nice little a zigzag sort of pattern going down the sides, and you know, I got to throw some of that red in there. I know that's been kind of the thing over the last several years, and like that, it's a, a little bit of a a hint of the red. You know, it's not too much. Uh, me personally, that's kind of my I like the red when it's in there, just not a little too much. I think they look uh, really nice and. Uh, the you got to help me out here, Anthony. I don't know if the zigzag pattern along the sides is that a a, a callback to any sort of like a throwback design, or is that just new? I, yeah, I thought it might be some kind of a callback, maybe.
0: I don't know. I I, I didn't recognize it right off the jump. I mean, I think uh, it when when they were teasing kind of the idea of this coming out, I I thought it might. Uh, if you've seen some of the Memphis Grizzlies jerseys, they have this trim that has like kind of mm-hmm. that pattern in there. I thought maybe it was going to be kind of a, a nod to to Desmond Bain and, and that Grizzlies jersey. But, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know if it's anything in particular, but it's, um, yeah, the touch of red is is probably, I think, the best use of the red that TCU has put out on any of the jerseys. I mean, mm-hmm. I liked um, back when the football team played LSU at Jerry World, they had, like, some cool helmets that had some red on it. Um, yeah, the more recent the red, football jerseys,
1: the chrome yeah. red streaks they had coming off the. That was pretty I, slick. I don't remember that game? That was that a, was
0: pretty slick. Um, the red jersey or the red trim yeah. on some of the lettering yeah. on like the really dark purple and black jerseys. Uh, mm-hmm. The last couple seasons, eh, you know, I think that's that's been a hit or miss um, opportunity. But this one really it pops, and I I, I like it, and I, I like on like on the dark purple jersey in particular where it's got kind of the thick white trim and then then the red down uh down the sides um yeah they're really slick and uh they're gonna look really nice you know playing in the final four i think that's what that's what's most important
1: <laughs> We get that rematch rematch with arizona in the there tournament on, and on it but you know they they look nice and then we also had a little bit of news as well with uh a report that Damien Baugh is appealing a suspension that has been handed down from the NCAA uh, for an undetermined amount of games. And it reportedly stems from uh, Damien signing with a uh, non-certified agent. Um, this was back when Damien had declared for uh, the draft and was testing the waters. Obviously, he and Mike Miles were two guys who – had wanted to test the waters before ultimately they decided to come back. And obviously the the hype is very real for this team uh, with everybody coming back and Eddie Lampkin and, and, uh, and i Bannon, and you have a lot of experience. You have a lot of uh, basketball writers, insiders who think this could be a, a top 15 team, perhaps in preseason poll, maybe even top 10, you know, a few weeks in. And um, you hope that they're, uh, isn't any serious missed time, but just by, by reading the report, it, it doesn't sound like anything too serious. I know in, in the report, there were some quotes from, uh, from his mom. Uh, and it, it, if anything, just seemed kind of more like a misunderstanding than, than anything. I know, I believe Damien has a, a kid and he's just trying to do the best thing for his family. So um, just. Yeah, abs- we'll absolutely. Lose- I mean, it's,
0: it's a really tricky thing. I mean, the, the, the rules are pretty vague and gray and it's, and they've been changing and yes, you can sign with an agent. You can declare for the draft and then return with your eligibility intact. But I guess there's just a special list of, of agents that you can sign with. And if you're not on that list, you don't count. And then it's breaking the rules at that point. I I don't know. It, it, the, you know, the NCAA is not an organization <laughs> most known for its consistency or you know uh, so
1: you, you would be correct <laughs> yeah, I, th- right. I think i
0: think it's it's a tough situation but I, I hopefully tcu and the powers that be get it worked out and you know if if ball has to miss some time for something silly um that that he just he just missed there then it'll be what it is and, and the rest of this team will, will pick up the slack and then maybe it'll give an opportunity for some of these young guys coming in to, to get some early playing time on, on some of these non-conference games that uh, the frog should be able to clean up a little bit um, before, before they hit the meat of the schedule.
1: Yep. hundred percent agree. So uh, what else in
0: news? We've got some football news this week too.
1: Yeah, just a couple uh Small injury things. I know Sonny Dykes had spoken to the media yesterday and just talked about a couple guys who've been banged up. Uh, Most notably Chandler Morris is out for SMU. I don't think that's a a huge surprise to anybody. Uh, Of course he went down in the Colorado game with a knee injury and last week Sonny had said that he's started his rehab. He's making progress, I guess, and he's going to be back sooner rather than later. I'm sure TCU is just being safe and, especially considering the way that Max Duggan played against Tarleton. Uh, There's really no need to rush him back, especially when you consider that Oklahoma is after SMU. So the schedule is only going to get more difficult from here. So uh, of course he's not going to play, but Sonny Dykes did say that uh, Bud Clark, free safety and Marcel Brooks linebacker may play in this game. Uh, Marcel, I guess is going to dress and try to give it a go. He's been, Banged up for for quite a while now. Had a, I believe it was a rib injury that he suffered during fall camp, and was a little discouraging because I guess he had been making some really strong impressions on the new staff. And obviously, he's a former five-star prospect. You know, transferring from LSU, played receiver actually last year. After starting out as a linebacker under the new staff at TCU, they moved him back to linebacker and. You know, going from a four two five to a three three five, uh, you need a little more depth at that linebacker position. So, um, things seem to be trending up for him, you know, regardless if he if he is able to play or not. And then Bud Clark is again another really talented young player, a former four star recruit that uh, could have been in line to potentially be the starter, um, but had an injury. And Abe Kamara has filled in pretty well. He had two pass breakups against Tarleton, had a couple tackles against Colorado and um hopefully again it doesn't sound like anything too major with with bud clark so uh more positive news on the injury front for for tcu as they get ready for for the iron skill this weekend
0: yeah you hit on kamara kamara's been really a nice surprise um i I don't know that it at least for me i I hadn't really known the name or known you know that that he was going to come in and play and he's been playing really well um uh, for Brooks yeah that the linebacker depth is uh, is certainly a concern in the 335 and already it's hit a few hit a few snags so getting Brooks back and all indications were that he was really ready to to put in a good amount of uh contribution for the frogs so um good there and yeah you know the message on Chandler Morris seems to still be that oh it's going to be sooner than later um which I think it's a little bit surprising, you know. At the at the Tarleton game, he was on the sideline in a big, huge knee brace on crutches. Um, you know, I think it's encouraging that everyone is saying, you know, it's not like a torn ACL or it's not a season-ending thing. But I, th- I think it's going to be more than this two three weeks. It it, uh, it seems more significant than that. Um, and, and maybe that's just trying to keep everybody on their toes or trying to feel optimistic, but, um, I don't know. It, it feels like maybe that's not quite as soon as like in the next, the Oklahoma game. I, I, I don't know. I can't see him running out there and, um, taking the field first snaps in that game either Mm -hmm. at this point.
1: Yeah, and now I don't know if you happen to catch his Instagram. I guess he posted something that might have been kind of cryptic. Can you, can you shed any light on that? Because I I didn't see it by the time I yeah yeah no I, I, said,
0: I, I did oh, see something. it. I mean it was I, I think it was just a uh, what is it the hourglass emoji uh, uh-huh. and and okay. a picture of him on the field. Uh, so you know like in. You know, I, I think it was not a recent picture of him. I think it was a picture of like from fall camp or something, maybe. And it was, uh-huh. yeah. That, but the the cryptic part was the hourglass emoji. Like, you know, you time, know, as a,
1: as a former Sooner, he's guess, gonna want to you know. be on that field for for I, Oklahoma, but for sure. You know, again, I think with with Duggan and also with the way Sam Jackson has played, I know he's a young player, but he he has been very good in his limited reps very fast. You know, he's quick to get out of, out of the pocket and make plays in the running game and has made some nice throws too. So I think, you know, it's not a situation where you have zero depth at the position. You can afford to be a little more patient with him because you have a senior quarterback with a lot of experience who, you know, you know what he can do well and and what he can't do well. And then you have a young player behind him. So. Um hopefully we get him back in, you know, a couple of weeks. And until then it's it's the Doug and Jackson Jackson show for the Frogs.
0: Yeah, and I think we frogs probably feel in pretty pretty solid hands with those guys and and it's a it's the blessing of, you know, we we waited all off season to find out who the who the quarterback was and it turns out we're all of the guys are still getting their opportunity. So it, that's that's great. Um all right. Let's jump into just a, uh, a little bit of a look back at at the Tarleton game. I know we've we're now you know two weeks away from it, but um, we haven't had a chance to really talk through it here. So, uh, I guess just from the jump, it's it's hard to take too much from a game against an FCS opponent. Um, how much of that is just pure talent advantage uh, from from being at the level that TCU is um, versus Tarleton State? And that said. TCU victory, 59-17, and it was a career day for Max Duggan. Um, Career-high yards, career-high touchdowns. Um, He he was everything that we had all kind of hoped for him to be during his time at TCU and uh, really dropping dimes in for touchdowns, showing some touch. Um, He had a few of those bullets that kind of, hit the receivers in the head instead of, you know, they're they're a little too close. But but for the most part, he was really showing showing some growth on some of those things that that maybe uh we were hoping for coming into the season.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think when you look at it as a whole, Max Duggan played the way that he was supposed to play. And and I think he came out and used the short intermediate areas of the field really well. He was in hitting guys in space. And when you have the kind of playmakers that TCU has this year in Quentin Johnston and Darius Davis, who's off to a tremendous start and Tay Barber and Jordan Hudson, who we'll talk about a little bit. I'm sure these are guys who get him the ball and let him get yards after the catch. And you saw a couple of those, you know, touch passes where they get Darius Davis, the ball, they get him uh, going around the end. And um, I think we know enough about Max at this stage of his career. We know he struggles on the deep ball. But he throws the he hits the short intermediate areas of the field well. He, I thought the 10, 15 yard routes, he hit a lot of those in this game and played with a lot of confidence, had command of the offense, made good decisions, and that's a good building block uh, going into this SMU game coming up.
0: Yeah, and I think it was encouraging. something that maybe we haven't seen in the past is really opening up the offense even against overmatched opponents of this is your opportunity to work out any of your, your kinks out there, the, you know, uh, throwing those short intermediate passes, get Max on a rhythm, get, get the offense rolling. Um, you know, yes, you could always roll out there and Kendra Miller run for four yards a carry, six yards a carry, whatever. And, and you roll to a win over an overpowered opponent. But um, I think it was nice to see that, Uh, the coaching staff opened things up a little bit and really let the ball fly. And, um, you know, still took, took the foot off the accelerator. I mean, Max didn't even play the fourth quarter at all. Um, So it's, it's not like, um, you know, they, they ran up the score or anything crazy, but they did allow that offense to play at at full capacity for, for a good part of the game, which, which was nice to see.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think when you look at the receivers, you know, Jordan Hudson, had a a really nice performance. There's a lot of talk about him coming in as a, as a true freshman. And especially now with Quincy Brown, unfortunately, you know, going down with that ankle injury late in that game. And he had a a really nice performance and I thought played pretty well last year with with Savion Williams out, um, showed some flashes as a young player, big body receiver at six, four, but uh, hopefully the frogs can get him back at some point down the line this season, but it's going to give an opportunity for some of these other guys like Jordan Hudson to come in and, and get more reps. And, and I thought his body control was really well. It was, uh, was done really well. That touchdown catch he had late in that game uh, spoke highly of Max Duggan. And I think that again, speaks to Max's leadership and um, excited about what this receiving group can do this year, especially with the amount of size that, the group has. I mean when you line up Quentin Johnston who's six four, Savion Williams who's six five, uh Jaquarius Spivey, who's really a tight end receiver, hybrid like TCU's had and guys like Pro Wells and Artavius Lynn, another big body at six five. It's it's gonna be a matchup nightmare, I think, in the red zone for, for some of these teams to put out uh 6 foot DBs and ask them to cover cover some of these guys yeah
0: definitely and and you mentioned the tight ends i think it was it was nice to see the tight ends got involved um a lot in this game as well so uh jared wiley with a touchdown several other uh blake noel several other other tight ends all all got a, a good opportunities out there i think a lot of them actually are listed as wide receivers on mm-hmm. the depth chart and on the official roster but i mean they're like yeah, yeah, like six, seven, two hundred and eighty or something. That's, that's not, I don't know that that's a wide receiver, but, um, yeah, getting, getting all those guys involved, offense looked good. Um, and the running game was good too. I think, again, that's, uh, the TCU offensive line played solid, um, opened the holes, kept Max protected, um, and, yeah, I, I think I think the the running game in this next game, and we'll talk about SMU in a little bit, but I think that's where we need to see some breakouts um, and and see it against uh, I guess a higher quality opponent um, here against Tarleton. Kendra Miller had a touchdown. Um, Amani Bailey had a had a long run breakout, uh, kind of sprint, run away from from the defense, touchdown. Um, exciting to see. On the defensive side, uh, did give up 17 points to Tarleton State, which is probably not what you want to see. But um, one of those touchdowns was was really late and, and in, in full garbage time. Um, but I, I think generally stout, uh, the couple of interceptions, uh, Josh Newton, who has been just like a, a, an absolute huge addition uh, from the transfer portal from Louisiana Monroe, um, had a had a physical interception where he he talked about after the game about how he just he just took that space from that receiver and kept him out of bounds and and took the, took the ball um, and then uh, McMillan with an acrobatic just kind of ju- diving jumping leapt through the air to catch an interception so good to see that happening um, but you know overall defense looked good do you have any thoughts on on how the defense looked.
1: Yeah, you know, I think, like you said, Josh Newton had a nice game. It's it's cool to see how he's sort of emerged as a leader for this team already, even though he's been with the program for for a short time, but someone that uh, the coaches have, have talked about quite a bit. I know he was uh, highlighted, I think, by the Star-Telegram last month uh, just for his play during fall camp and and the way that he's emerged as a leader. I, I, I thought coming into this season that, you knew Trey Tomlinson was going to be one of the starters at corner. And I kind of thought the other spot was going to be Noah Daniels to lose, but you you have to be really encouraged with, with Josh Newton and also the linebackers. I think D winters and uh, Johnny Hodges, the transfer from Navy have both done really well at those outside backer spots. Again, it's a a new scheme uh, going from really having two inside backers to, to one middle and two outside backers. Um, I think they're going to be used in, in the pass rush a little bit more perhaps than in the past. And especially when you have uh, some guys at DN like Dylan Horton, Terrell Cooper and others that are coming from a scheme where they were, they were D tackles uh, and afford online pass rushers at DN, you know, kind of different techniques um, and having to change their bodies a little bit and be uh, bigger. You know, you normally see your, your DNs, in a three down line formation that are a little bit more size and filling up more holes. So I think D. Winters has really done well in that type of role. And uh, definitely something that is going to be a key as we get ready for SMU is this is Tanner Mordecai, and this is a quarterback with a lot of experience and is capable of lighting up the scoreboard and putting up yards and not to mention they have Rasheed Rice, who, is a very talented playmaker and they're going to have to find ways to, to make Tanner Mordecai uncomfortable. Um, I think they'll have to get creative with some blitz packages and um, Williams, the freshman nose tackle, I think has had an unbelievable start for a, a kid who just turned 18 years old yes. at 320 pounds to, to step in, you know, right away under a, again, a new scheme and, and play the way he has is super encouraging. So uh, th- this will be really the, the first, significant test that this defense has faced this season i'm interested to see how it shakes out this weekend
0: yeah and and i, I think we're being a little bit kind and coy about significant tests i mean uh, colorado is it's come to show that they're probably one of the one of the worst teams in overall in the country certainly one of the worst power five teams in the country um and and an fcs team so Yes, this is, this is absolutely the, the biggest test coming up and um, we'll see. And, and you kind of touched on it, but yeah, the, there were no sacks against, against Tarleton state. So that's, is that a concern? Is that maybe that just wasn't the focus of the game plan? Um, And, and, but yeah, Tanner Mordecai is an athletic guy who can get the ball where he wants to put it and you got to, got to put him in bad situations. So we'll, we'll need to be putting him in pressure. And so hopefully that, that defensive front and, and the linebacker scheme can, can find some way to get to him. The other thing that concern was a, a little bit of concern out of the Tarleton game is um, giving up some deep pass plays, you know, Tarleton, we we talked about it before the game of, they do have some talented receivers, some guys with, with some recruiting pedigree, um and and recruiting pedigree at the quarterback position so um not totally um and we also knew that this was going to be the game plan that they were going to look to hit big plays they were going to toss it deep um but they did get a few of those to to come through and um when it's Rasheed Rice and Tanner Mordecai and the SMU scheme it's going to be it's it's brought up several notches there so um, definitely something to watch going forward. Um, all right, so we'll, we'll move on from way back in week two. We'll quickly hit on um, some of the Big 12 happenings this past weekend in week three, while uh, TCU got to sit back and watch the um, Let's see, I'll, I'll put it to you. What's Which of the games from the Big 12, we can review all of these, just talk through them quickly, but which of the games from the Big 12 were you most interested in from this last weekend watching football?
1: Uh, there were a couple that stood out. I think, obviously, Kansas uh, going on the road and getting another quality win against a, a Houston team that was ranked in the top 25 uh, last week when they when they played a really close game against Texas Tech. Uh, Kansas is legit. I, I think Kansas has... Uh, they are not a doormat in the Big 12 anymore. They are not a doormat in college football. Lance Leipold, his staff, deserve a lot of credit. They have a lot of players who, a couple years ago, were very young, raw players that are beginning to develop, and they run the football extremely well. They have multiple guys who can carry it. Uh, Jalen Daniels has avoided turning the ball over. And it's been really fun to see. You know, they, they go hang 55 on West Virginia and Morgantown, which is a difficult place to play, ending that game with a pick six. They go to Houston against a former Big 12 coach and Dana Holgerson and hang uh, 48 points on them, and they're off to a 3-0 start. So I think you, you can't – nobody should consider Kansas an easy win anymore. So that was a, a game that stood out to me. And then also on the other side, you have Kansas State who loses – uh, to Tulane and only puts up 10 points. And this is a team that uh, brought in Adrian Martinez, the quarterback transfer from Nebraska. They have Deuce Vaughn back. Obviously he's a tremendous playmaker for them. He's been off to a, a terrific start this year, but uh, a little discouraging uh, overall to see the way that Kansas state has performed, obviously getting a, a win against a pretty mediocre Missouri team. I don't think that means a whole lot, but uh you know Kansas State can play some defense. I don't think that's something that's going to change. But you look at the numbers that Martinez has put up, and they, they've they really, really struggled to move the ball through the air. So I, I think it's really become a, a contained deuce Vaughn, and you have a very good chance of beating uh, Kansas State. So uh, those are two that, that stood out to me. Um, yeah for sure so
0: yeah i'll I'll, uh jump in i guess on on the kansas man i was i couldn't have been more wrong on this so all offseason our podcast and everything i i was i took kansas on the under win total two and a half they're already over that they're you know i said no way are they they're not going to win a big 12 game this season already got that um and yeah. And they're not just squeaking these games out either. They're, they're really putting up impressive performances. So um, yeah, be afraid of the Jayhawks at, in football. That's, that's crazy. So, um, you know, maybe, uh, you know, maybe we shouldn't have been so hard on Texas for for losing to the Jayhawks last year. I don't know, but um,
1: you have to wonder, you know, did, did that win kind of do something for the program? Because I, I felt last year – I mean, Kansas played TCU competitively, and they, they had a, a few games where they were competitive and they just – they couldn't win. You know, they, they just couldn't do enough. But it's not like every game was a blowout like it's been in the past. And And being able to win that game against Texas, you know, sometimes in, in sports – a win can can just change the tide for a program and and the players a lot of these players again have been they've been through the ringer you know they've been brought grinding through those
0: winless conference seasons yeah yeah
1: Yeah. started from the bottom now we're here there you go keep uh, i think they're going to keep trending upward for sure
0: um and uh, a place that maybe uh Leopold and and one one of those Kansas coaches Kansas or Kansas State coaches might end up going uh to the opening in Nebraska where um there was some thought that maybe similar to how after Gary Patterson was uh left last year uh for TCU went out and then beat Baylor that maybe Nebraska after losing Scott Frost or relieving him of his duties uh maybe that would light a fire under the Cornhuskers and um uh, no, that was not the case. Oklahoma went out and, and completely handled them in Lincoln and, you know, not, not surprising certainly, but I, you know, I think the the spread on that one was only like 11 points. There was a lot of talk that, yeah, you know, maybe Nebraska is a better team and, you know, maybe they, they get some coaching in there and, and it, it works out, but I think Oklahoma is maybe just not getting enough credit. Um, I think that's a really, really good team. Yes. They're ranked like six or they're somewhere in the top 10. Um, but I think that's, they're a scary team right now and, and look to a fully rebounded from, you know, they, there was all this trauma off season of Lincoln Riley leaving and Caleb Williams leaving and, Oh, it's terrible. And we're so sad, but, uh, you know, Brett Venables has come in and, and done a really great job, and and I think that they they could be primed for for a big special season, and maybe this is the year they go out and win a playoff game, and and I think that would be kind of a maybe just funny that that Riley leaves, and that's that's how it goes down. That's when they get their get their best season, but
1: and, and um, they have some good yeah. skill talent, and not to mention they bring in Dylan Gabriel from UCF, who's very experienced and a really talented quarterback. I think he was one of the biggest uh, transfers on the market. So for him to land in Oklahoma, they have an experienced quarterback who's capable of winning football games and uh, a good receiving core led by Marvin Mims. So uh, anytime you have that kind of talent at quarterback and at the skill positions, you're going to have a, an opportunity to win a lot of games. So um you know, they kind of overcame that slow start against Kent State last week. I think that was like a seven to three game at halftime, and then they blew them out in the second half. But um, it'll be interesting to see how how Oklahoma gets through the season. You know, a little bit of a, a different team. You got a new coach, and and like you said, uh, Caleb Williams and Lincoln Riley at USC. I'm sure we'll talk about USC a little bit later when we get to the the national landscape of things, but. Um, overall, what, when you look at how the big 12 has started the season, I think you have to be pretty encouraged. Um, there've been a lot of competitive games and, and going into this weekend you, know, you have some really good matchups like West Virginia and Virginia tech. Uh, of course you have the battle for the iron skillet and, and a few others as well. So, uh, I always enjoy watching the big 12 and just, how it's it's the only power five where everyone plays everyone i know some people aren't a fan of the round robin format but I, I think that's how you truly figure out who the best team is you know that's that's just it makes I, for a
0: tough path i know yeah i think that's probably where people are like oh man i have to play all these teams and then i have to beat some the second best team again in the conference mm-hmm. championship game and yeah it, it certainly makes for a tough path and this season looks to be some, some strong teams. Plus if Kansas is going to be good and Texas tech is, is better than they were feels like, um, you know, it's even with Kansas state losing this game to Tulane, they could just as easily go out this week and beat Oklahoma. I mean, that that's, that's the level that this conference is very even top to bottom and, and, If Kansas isn't going to be a bottom feeder, then it's it's really going to be a gauntlet through conference schedule.
1: Yep, and Iowa State beating Iowa in a in a rock fight, (laughs) ten to seven. I know Iowa Iowa struggles to score points, but listen, that's (laughs) another classic rivalry game. And and when we talk about SMU a little bit, I'm sure we'll talk about rivalry games in general as well, and how that's kind of a a trend going away in college football with. Realignment and new conferences, and um, you know schools going from one conference to the other and not being able to play. I know Bedlam. That's been something that people have talked about recently. Now that Oklahoma and Texas are going to the SEC, there's going to be no more Bedlam series. And Mike Gundy had some some comments about that. But um, you like to see some of those you know traditional rivalry games. But back to the the main point. Iowa State gets a win there and. Ames can be a really difficult place to play. I mean, TCU has struggled in Ames multiple times, along with other Big 12 teams. So you have to bring it every week, man. It's not like some of these other conferences where you might get a a cheap matchup with a weaker team in the other division. You got to bring it every week.
0: That's right. So, um, just wrapping up week three quickly. So, some some national big games that that may have an impact uh, a, across the board. So, uh, the big ones were Oregon destroyed BYU um, at home, and then Penn State went to Auburn and and really crushed them. Um, the the BYU game, I think, is kind of unfortunate generally for. Um, Big Twelve kind of, I don't know, strength of schedule type of thing where Baylor loses that game to BYU, and then BYU goes and loses to a Pac twelve team. Um, I think that that may take away some of the uh, some of the strength there of those transitive victories. You know how how the national media uses that as ways to co- compare teams down the stretch or the who knows what. Mm -hmm. playoff committees are thinking but that's that's the kind of thing that comes back later um and then yeah the penn state defeating auburn i think we could be looking at another power five coach opening there in auburn soon enough um the other two games of interest from national were uh, wake forest barely escaping liberty and ucla barely escaping south alabama so a couple of uh, wake is a ranked team a couple of you know big name brands that were on the brink against uh g5 competition
1: mm-hmm. and wake's got a, a matchup coming up against Clemson I'm very interested to see how that plays out because I don't think Clemson has been impressive at all uh, DJ Wiyaga Uh, I'm sorry if I butchered the name I hope I didn't but you know, he, he's a quarterback who obviously came in after Trevor Lawrence and was very highly regarded. It, it just seems like they, they struggle to move the ball. Now, you know, they, they struggle to move the ball and I, I'm not exactly sure why I haven't watched enough, enough Clemson football, honestly, but that's, that's a game that I could see uh, coming down to the wire coming up. And uh, you mentioned Oregon and BYU. I know Oregon got blown out by Georgia, but Two things there. I feel like Georgia right now is kind of in a class of, you know, Alabama of course is, is number two, but I I don't think they've been as impressive as, as their rank shows. Uh, Georgia to me, just the way they defend under Kirby smart and the experience they have at the quarterback position with Stetson Bennett, I feel like they're just kind of, they're the best team in the nation by a pretty significant margin right now. And then I mean, Washington beat Michigan state. Pretty handily, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah that was a good
1: one. And and I was watching that with a, a good buddy of mine, uh, who I grew up with, who is a is a Michigan State alum. So wasn't a, a good experience for him, but you know, Michael Penix looked really good in that game for for Washington, and and it really wasn't that close. So I, maybe some of these Pac-12 teams are a little bit better than they're getting credit for. I think uh, you know, looking at our our run list here, USC is only a six and a half point favorite against against Oregon state is is that is that true I feel like that's
0: uh in Corvallis I don't know I guess it's a crazy things can happen I don't know but and Oregon states look pretty strong they've had a yeah that all the Pac-12 is is probably better than we all would have thought going into the season Mm. um despite Oregon yeah getting crushed by Georgia but I don't think you can hold that against anybody that 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 Georgia team is just too too much for anybody to handle Um, from this week, also another power five coaching opening with, uh, Arizona state losing to Eastern Michigan ended the Herm Edwards experience there, um, at Arizona state. Um, so my, my first thought on this, because I'm still, uh, tied to Gary Patterson emotionally is what do we think that Gary Patterson will be a power five coach next season? Um, you know, I think with, with the game against Alabama, he had a tweet that was, that was pretty funny of, he was, it was kind of like everyone is reaching out to, to tell me how awesome I am and how great this was. <laughs> and it was like, what happened to win by one? I guess now it's lose by one. Um, it's, but he, his name will definitely get mentioned in a lot of these things. And, and I guess, what do you think? Do you think he'll be, he'll actually take the leap right back into a, a power five spot? Will he take a something, you know, at a, a G five level, or is he
1: happy I, to hang out th- in Austin? I, you know, I think what can be seen clearly is that he still has a desire to coach and some facet. He still has that, that passion. And, uh, there, there were a lot of people talking after that Texas Alabama game, and even during the game, that even like former players were, were tweeting out that Co- Coach P's got these boys playing some tough defense, and yeah, I I could definitely see him, you know, his his longtime buddy Jared Hill is is back as a head coach at New Mexico State after serving as the interim for TCU when when Gary and uh, and TCU parted ways. I think he's. If, if there's one thing about Gary that we can't question, it's you know, the passion for, for the sport. And I think he's, if the right opportunity presented itself, it wouldn't surprise me if he made that, that leap. I think anytime you're a, a former head coach, especially a, a head coach with as much experience and as many accolades and someone who is recruited as well as he has because a lot of people I think take for granted how much recruiting actually goes into the job of, of being an ad coach. Um, you know, off season, that's a lot of what the, what these coaches are doing. And, and under Gary and you know, TCU always recruited pretty well. So um, it, it wouldn't surprise me. You know, I think obviously something like that, where he potentially takes a, an opening wouldn't happen until you know, long after the season, but um, I'm I'm sure he would be all ears. You know, I think he's he's been around the block long enough to where it's 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 almost like it's a business move. And if there's the right situation for the right price, and he thinks he can he can continue to have that that passion for for the sport, I I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised at all.
0: Yeah, I was kind of hoping he would just uh, move on to to doing television or or calling games or something because he's always so good on those uh, like the coach's room during the national championships stuff like that. That was always like, yeah, clearly his his football brain is still there, and and like you said, he's definitely still got that itch to, to get out there and coach. So I, I, would be surprised if he, if he hangs it up there, he'll get a call and I think he'll take one of these spots, uh, going forward. All right. We are over 40 minutes in and we haven't started talking about SMU yet. So, um, here we go. Saturday morning, 11 AM, uh, at SMU Horn Frogs, <laughs> iron skillet game, a lot of emotion, uh, lot of heated rivalry stuff going on here so and and Sunny Dykes moves over from SMU to TCU so there seem to be a lot of maybe some hurt feelings from the SMU side from from the fan base from the players um i, I think it's is we've seen more of that this year than kind of the just pure trash talk that we got, uh, leading into last season's game. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess my, my first thing on this is we put out some, some polls, uh, to the fans and got some, some pretty good feedback. And the first one was regarding this game itself and on TCU schedule, is this the most important game of the season? If TCU were to win this game and lose kind of the big other rivalry games, would that be okay? Or is it okay to lose this game? And then as long as you win some of the others, is that better? Um, The fans came back pretty strong saying Texas and Baylor were pretty close as the most important games. And then SMU third and then Texas tech, I guess, we we've already forgotten about the cactus emojis and all of that. We're not worried about that anymore. Um, I don't know. What's your, what's your thought on this? I mean, I I can, I can see it in a lot of ways. The reason why I think it's an interesting question is TCU's lost two straight to, to the ponies Mm -hmm. um, both in Fort worth and went out and took their coach. And if after that still are losing that game, I think it's, it feels like the program then is in a, in a bad place. Maybe I'm putting too much stock in it. Um, but I think probably the correct answer to the poll question is that we want to beat Baylor. Anything that that knocks Baylor down is, is a positive. But uh, I can see how this game holds higher importance maybe than it has even some of the ones in the past.
1: Yeah, and I think, again, I, I touched briefly on Rivalry games and how a lot of rivalry games are kind of going away with the nature of conference realignment and TV deals and schools looking out for themselves, trying to put themselves in positions financially. And you know, I think some fans maybe they wonder, we could we take SMU off the schedule and and put another Power Five non-conference game and I think. Games like that are nice, but I enjoy the TCU-SMU matchup personally. And I think this year, its I'm a little surprised that there hasn't been as much trash talk considering the amount of trash talk that we had last year. But I also think it's going to be so interesting because you have so many coaches, not just Sonny Dykes, but Garrett Riley and others who were on that SMU sideline and in that locker room, when they came in to Amon G. Carter Stadium, and it's not even that SMU won the game. SMU was entirely more physical. They they completely dominated that football game. And then you had players coming onto the field afterward. They they put the flag in at the fifty yard line. You know that's. I think TCU has got to has got to come back into this game. And I think it's going to be a very physical football game. I think it's going to be a great environment in Dallas. And I, I love it. It's Dallas, you know, even the mayor uh, was there talking about it's Dallas versus Fort Worth. I know TCU players have spoke to the media and it's, I'm extremely excited for it. I think it's great for, for TCU. I think it's great for college football that you keep, uh, scheduling games like this and you know there i think there are other opportunities to to try and set up some some non-conference matchups like getting a, a matchup with colorado and i'm sure there are others down the line but um for just for the the regional aspect of it i think the players enjoy it and you know sonny dykes he's he, another guy who's been around the block long enough he, he knows it's going to be a raucous environment there are going to be people booing them, people calling them names or whatever the case may be. But at the end of the day, it's football, you know, and, and these two teams want to come out and play well and, and put on a good show. And the fans want to see an entertaining competitive football game. And I think that's what it's going to be.
0: Yeah. As soon as that, that ball kicks off and there's that first snap and yeah, then it's just football and, and it'll be, you know, the, the, the TCU guys against the SMU guys, and it won't be all of that that emotion and that history. I, I don't think that will will play into it. But yeah, and and your point about continuing to play the game. So that was the second part of the poll question to the fans, and and they were they were pretty strong in agreement there that uh, play it every year, play at home and home, uh, you know, have have that game in Dallas, and and bring them into Fort Worth every other year. So I I think there, there were a couple of interesting responses to that. I think there's one option that was proposed. I'm looking it up now. So um, thanks at Doug Redgrave on Twitter. He responded uh, with, with basically a way that SMU should be on a rotation with other of the, um, the Texas group of five schools. So you know, you play UTSA, El Paso, North Texas, Rice. Um, every every year, you play one of those, and so every you know four or five years, that's SMU. And for I would see that as being that whatever that Texas TCU TCU game would be is held in in Fort Worth at Amon G Carter. So, I think that's that's a that's an approach that. I think if TCU were a much larger brand, that's the way it would go. I mean, you don't see the Longhorns going to El Paso or going to, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to, to Rice. Um, so that's, I, I think, I think that's a way to think of it, but yeah, that just the history of it. Plus. Yeah. It's when, when it was TCU winning every year and, it's fun. It's, it's fun to beat those guys. And I think the counter argument though, is it one, it legitimizes SMU as like, Oh, well they get to host TCU every other year. And there's that there's also, there's really, there's limited benefit to TCU of if TCU loses, it's the end of the world. If TCU wins, no one cares um, nationally. And that's, you don't really want to set yourself up for that level of, I don't know, risk that emotional risk. But, uh, yeah, I think fan base was pretty clear. And, and I, I generally agree with you too, that play the game and just go beat them every year. And, and then it's all fine.
1: Yeah. And you know, you brought up the point about how there's a, uh, very low reward, on, I guess, a national scene in in today's age of college football, where there's so much weight that's put into style points. And it's not just about winning the game. It's how you won the game. Like a a 30-point win against this team may not win as much as a five-point win against this team based on who the team is. So I definitely see that argument as to, you know, if SMU doesn't have a, a strong team and you lose, then you look really bad. But if you win, okay, yeah, you were supposed to beat them. I guess if I had a counter to that, I would say that SMU has been much better these last few years than they've been in, in the past. There have been multiple instances where SMU has been ranked in the top 25 and winning 8, 9, 10 games in a season. So if you if you wanna be a national champion, it doesn't matter who you play, if it's SMU or right. Tarleton State or Alabama, you go out and win football games and when it's all said and done, you're thirteen and zero, and or twelve and one. And if you wanna you wanna be one of the top four teams in the country, make the playoff and be a national champion, you just gotta go out and win football games. So um I'm um, again. I'm I'm excited for the matchup, and I think it's going to be uh, a very good game.
0: Yeah, and and I don't think SMU is going anywhere either. I mean, in this, they've clearly shown a commitment to the the NIL game, where um, they're gonna they're gonna work to bring in talent, and they in the future of the American Conference, they will be one of the top teams, and in, in th- that conference going forward. And you know, in a in a world in the future with an expanded playoff where winning, you know, whatever it is, the top six conference winners go to the playoff. They might be in line to be one of those conference winners that, that gets an automatic ticket into the playoff. So um, yeah, I, I I think that the game will only carry more significance as it goes forward. Um, And, and I don't think the the Mustangs are going anywhere. Um, All right. So, maybe about this particular SMU football team and, and our thoughts on how they stack up against the frogs, um, watch some of their, their game against Maryland last week, um, where they, they ended up losing on the road in college park, but I, I thought they were the better team watching the game. It, it felt like they had every opportunity to go and take that game. Um, and just didn't a lot of, uh, one really controversial fumble call that, that uh, I think the SMU fans are are pretty upset about and, and rightfully so. Um, but a lot of opportunities in the red zone that either didn't turn into points or turned into field goals that if those are touchdowns against Maryland or against TCU, things are going to be a problem. Um, so I, I, I thought they, even, even in losing that game, um, that Maryland offense in particular is, is really explosive or has been generally, and they did a pretty good job handling, um, Talia Tagavailoa and all those receiving talent, Rakeem Jarrett and, uh, Demas and all of those guys. So I, I think they showed the, the path that they can take that, that can lead to a win over the frogs from, from that game. I don't know if you caught much of that SMU Maryland game.
1: I I did not, but I think just from, from watching rivalry matchups at whatever level it is, whether it's collegiate football or high school football or professional football, whatever's happened previously, I feel like just gets thrown out the window. You know, it's an entirely new ball game and it's almost like both teams are, Zero and zero, you know, and it's it's a, both teams trying to, to get to one and zero and win that week. And for for TCU, I think it's going to be really important to get off to a fast start. Uh, I thought TCU came out last year was very sluggish, you know, and was they were not able to take control of the game early on. And SMU was so much more assertive physically, the way that they ran the football down TCU's throat with multiple different guys. So um, I think again, having coaches and play a player like Alan Ali, who is going to be captaining this offensive line for, for TCU, who was on the other side of the field in that game, they're, they're going to be getting on these guys to be mentally and physically ready to go for this game. They, they got to get off to a fast start and, we we talked about it earlier in in the podcast about making Tanner Mordecai uncomfortable. They they can't allow him to have a clean pocket on on his dropbacks like he, like he did last year. Um, you got to find a way to make him uncomfortable, and I think you got to find a way to find a a couple turnovers. You know they gotta they gotta make a couple key plays there in the secondary or or in the run game, force a fumble, steal a couple possessions somehow. Because I think it's going to ultimately come down to a to a one-score game just as a conservative prediction. We'll get to our predictions, I'm sure, in a little bit. But um, I think whoever wins the turnover margin is going to win the game. And TCU has been pretty good at taking care of the football so far. But um, we'll, we'll see what happens this weekend.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, we, we... – No, we've seen a max a version of max duggan that can turn the ball over and and we haven't seen that version really yet this season but um we know that it's in there so hope that 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 guy doesn't show up in dallas um saturday morning and yeah i wonder if the the 11 a.m start time hurts any on the starting fast i mean i i don't know the exact travel plans for the frogs but I imagine that it'll be that they'll stay in Fort Worth and then just drive over on, on the morning of the game. And then, um, I don't know. It, it, it feels like it, th- that that could cause a, a little bit of a sluggishness, uh, to come out of the gate. Just those morning games. I really wish this had been an afternoon or, or primetime game. I, I guess all fans kind of wish that generally, uh, across the board, but, um, yeah. And, and you mentioned the run game from, from SMU goodness last year, just absolutely tore through the TCU defense. Um, no more Ulysses Bentley for, for the Mustangs. He's off in Ole Miss with Zach Evans. Um, but they brought in Alabama five-star Kamar Wheaton. He hasn't really shown much yet, but um you know, he has the talent and, and if he gets out there, maybe he can run wild. Trey Siggers is still there, um, able to take it to this TCU defense again. So I, I think that's going to be something to watch is how does this new defensive scheme attack that SMU run, run game? Um, we, we know that there's going to be big plays in the past game and, and that Mordecai is going to look to throw the ball all over the yard, but, um, on those those short yardage plays, those you know, that's that's where the game will be won or lost. Is who can who can pick up those first downs um, when when you're you're just kind of lining up and and smashing heads. So I, I think it'll it'll we haven't really seen it yet from either side on what this is going to be. There's a lot of unknowns, so it'll be a really intriguing contest to find out how that all shakes out
1: want to get into our uh, predictions here
0: let's yeah let's see it so so the spread and the spread's actually been kind of jumping around crazy um it opened at smu favored by a point and a half um, yeah I see that relatively quickly jumped to tcu by a point um when when i wrote this uh, this on our notes earlier it was tcu favored by two i had seen that it might have jumped to two and a half. But in any case, I don't think anybody really knows what's gonna happen to this game. And so it's basically just okay, it'll be within a field goal one way or another. Um that's that's what the uh the odds makers are putting it with a total a point total on the game of 70 and a half. Um what do you think? What's your thought on the game? How's this gonna shake out?
1: I I would definitely Go over on the 70 and a half. I I think this is going to be a high scoring game. I'm not, I shouldn't say I'm not exactly sure why. I think both teams have enough talent on offense and enough experience at the quarterback positions to, to have this be a high scoring game. I think both teams are going to want to get out to a quick start and play fast. I know playing fast on the offensive side, has been an emphasis for TCU under Sunny Dykes, and just looking at the way some of these matchups have gone over the last few years, a lot of points have been scored. So, um, I I think I'm I'm going to be a conservative here, but my my final score prediction would be uh, TCU 38, SMU 31. That's that's my final score prediction i think it's going to be a close game throughout um I, I would be mildly surprised if this winds up in a blowout in in one shape or the other um but but i think tcu will will move the ball just enough on offense and make enough stops on the other side to to start off three and zero. so i'm gonna go 38 31 frogs
0: i like it um that would be that would be wonderful yeah this this point total I I feel like you can envision 90 points being scored more than you could envision I don't know 60 or fewer points being scored in this in this game um, so the 70 and a half I, I I can I can feel like it being a high scoring game going over that total um but I I don't know maybe I'm maybe I'm still feeling purple glasses for this week. I feel like TCU comes out extremely motivated, um, extremely well-coached, ready to go and and take down this team from across the town. So I, I, I think it's more lopsided than than a one score. I, I think we're looking more in the like 48 to 38, 35, maybe something like that um and I just I, I just
1: realized something i I can't do math for whatever reason you were under you <laughs> 38 plus 31 is not uh, more. Than 30. so let's go um no just take the under I think you're good you, you take one <laughs> 34 that's okay that's, let's go with that keep the seven point spread but I think the frogs get over 40.
0: okay I like it I think we're we're Feeling confident in the frogs, but you know, anything like you say, rivalry games, anything can happen in this one, and it will be an exciting time Saturday morning, 11 a.m. Central Time, Dallas, Texas. Iron skillet, exciting. Um, just quickly, we're, we're over an hour, but what we can quickly hit on some of the other stuff that's coming up this weekend. Um, first off, around the Big 12 starting thursday night west virginia is actually a a short favorite at virginia tech um mountaineers have had some i don't know bad luck or maybe just kansas is way better than everyone thought but uh how how are you feeling on the mountaineers here traveling to to virginia tech
1: Uh, you know i think I I was going to say this is a a matchup where you have two teams with, with two coaches who could be on the hot seat, uh, to be honest with with the way West Virginia started. And, uh, JT Daniels has, has seemingly found his home. He's played pretty well with the exception of that pick six against Kansas. He's put up really good numbers and, uh, Bryce Ford Wheaton has been a, a big playmaker for them. They've run the ball well also, um, I don't know a whole lot about Virginia tech other than a lot of their fans on Twitter seem to be very frustrated with how things are going for them. So that's uh that, that could be a, a rock fight to just try to stay alive and, and, uh, and get a much needed win. Um, looking at some of these Kansas and Duke are three and O thought that the, the two basketball, basketball. power be unbeaten in football at this point, but uh Kansas I think has a, a a big chance to to pick up another win there and and move to 4-0 and then uh Baylor Iowa State I could see that being a very tough game for for the Bears. I know they just beat Texas State pretty handily but Blake Shapen struggled a little bit and they I know they took him out of the game for a little while. Um they have a lot of inexperience at some of those skill positions. Um lot of receivers and backs who've left over the last
0: yeah they lost a lot of talent off that team last year absolutely hmm. yeah i think i think that's a that's a really dangerous game for the bears and and uh cyclones are actually favored there at home but that's that's a tough one man the, the big 12 is just kind of stacked this week i like the texas texas tech game as well um, another big sellout there, Texas tech is going to be going to be raucous welcoming in, uh, the Longhorns. So I, 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 could see them, you know, coming out of that, taking down the, taking down the big dogs. But, um, and then the, yeah, like I said earlier, the Kansas state, Oklahoma game as well, Oklahoma two touchdown favorite, but deuce Vaughn is, is in the nightmares of every sooner fan um he he has kind of owned them over his his career so far and uh it could be he he has that capability anytime he could take a game um just to go back on west virginia you touched on the 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 coaching hot seat man i i think uh what's his name neil brown neil brown, neil brown yeah. yeah he man i i think he's in trouble um some of the the coaching decisions he made in that pit game um, and I I think he might get run out of town before this one's done and and if if they lose this one and then they uh, I think he's in trouble um, that that might be coming to an end there which is un- unfortunate for them um, all right so quickly the the national games um. I think the one of these that most interests me is Arkansas, Texas A&M. Uh, so Arkansas has climbed all the way up to number 10 in the AP poll, um, while Texas A&M is still somehow holding on to a spot down at number 23. But I think Texas A&M can, can come out and, and take this game from uh, from the Hogs. I've enjoyed watching Arkansas play. I think Raheem Sanders at running back is ridiculous. Um, Jefferson, the quarterback is, is fun to watch as well. But I think going into college station, they there's, there's a chance they go in and lose that game. And then it it kind of revalidates the Aggies back into the top 25 back into the conversation. Um, You know, they get their sec win. They're coming off that Miami win. So even though they lost, the game to app state they can still start feeling okay about themselves hitting the their gauntlet of sec west scheduling
1: yeah a couple uh quarterbacks to keep an eye on with some of these matchups uh kj jefferson obviously in the arkansas AM game and then also florida at tennessee uh anthony richardson is, is another quarterback prospect um uh, along with jefferson who uh some mock draft experts think could be uh, top five quarterback prospects for, for the class of 23 when it's all said and done. And I know Florida has struggled a little bit uh, recently here and uh, Richardson. I'm not sure if he's played very well in those games, but um, Tennessee is always a, a raucous environment to play. And, you know, that's going to be a great atmosphere. Uh, there And then Arkansas, I don't know what it is. But whenever I watch them, they always play well. Um, it's not very frequently, but usually a couple times a year I see them play, and, and they usually play, uh, play pretty well. So um, I, I think Florida could get a, a bounce-back win at Tennessee, and, and I want to see Arkansas give it to A&M this weekend for sure.
0: All right. I think we'll, uh, we'll wrap it up there. Um, you know, obviously thanks everybody for, for listening, for following with, along with us. Um, stay tuned in on frogs of Follow us at frogs of Um, you know, you'll be getting live tweets. I think we'll have folks in the student section. We'll have folks in the stadium this, this weekend. And so you might get some, some fun stuff there. Um, plenty coming, covering this game and covering everything, TCU sports going forward. Um, any final words Russ?
1: us? Uh, just giving a go frogs. All right. Go frogs. Thanks everybody. Follow on Twitter. Follow us on Facebook. We're getting, we're getting stuff, uh, posted online on a daily basis. And we're, we're ready to get back into the, into the steam of things with, uh, with this football season and everything else going on in, in funky town. So excited, exciting times.
0: It's all good. All right. Thanks everyone.